So if you would join me in the book of Psalms. I'd like to read our text tonight, Psalm 29, then pray, and then we'll begin our time of study. Psalm 21. O Lord, in your strength the king will be glad, and in your salvation how greatly he will rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire, and you have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with the blessing of good things. You set a crown of fine gold on his head. He asked life of you. You gave it to him. Length of days, forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you place on him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him joyful with gladness in your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. And through loving kindness of the Most High, he will not be shaken. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will devour them. Their offspring you will destroy from the earth, and their descendants from among the sons of men. Though they intended evil against you and devised a plot, they will not succeed. For you will make them turn their back. You will aim with your face Aim with your bowstring at their faces. <clears throat> Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Father in heaven, as we come to this time where your word is open before us, and we speak and we consider and we listen on these things from your word, we pray that you would enrich our lives with your presence. Let us see your glory. Let us see your majesty. And Father, would you take us along in that path of growth where we need to know more of you as we speak to you, as we learn of you, and we study of you, that our hearts will grow fonder of you and will become more secure in you, more trusting, more dependent, more desiring to serve, that, Father, you will cause us to have a greater passion and love for you because we've spent time together in your word and in your presence. Thank you for these moments. In Christ's name, amen. Last, night, or last Sunday night, Christian gave us an overview of the camp study that they had together, and you remember was emphasizing on the Christian disciplines. And one of those disciplines was prayer. Our study tonight, as you look at the first seven verses of Psalm 21, is clearly talking about prayer. Now, two weeks ago, when we looked at Psalm 20, if you remember, there was something unique about Psalm 20. And we noted it was more liturgical, it was more corporate in nature. When David has prayed in the past in these psalms, he's prayed personally to God, that God would deliver him, that God would, would uh, cause his enemies not to cause him danger. Um, he was pleading with the Lord. This is a little bit different here in Psalm 20 and Psalm 21 because we can see the language. It's the corporation of Israel that gathered in the presence of the Lord and they're speaking, they're praying, they're petitioning on behalf of their king, King David. And David is taking these words, these prayers and petitions, and he's putting it into him to be used as a praise to God. That's kind of the context. So it is much more liturgical, much more corporate. But the emphasis tonight in Psalm 21 is that of prayer and thanksgiving. If you remember Psalm 20 two weeks ago. There was a petition where the people were appealing to the Lord, grant us victory on the battlefield. Remember that? Psalm 20 appears to be an answer to that. 
that God has given Israel that victory. God has given David that victory for the sake of the people, and the people are then coming together to respond in thanksgiving. So the emphasis tonight, at least through these first seven verses, is going to be considering prayer in gratitude of the Lord. We're coming to the Lord in thanksgiving. We're coming to praise him. There's joy in our hearts because God has given success. That is the atmosphere of the study tonight. And because of it, I want us to take our corporate time of prayer and emphasize thanksgiving, emphasize gratitude. And I'm not restricting or putting limits on you. If you feel a need to petition or appeal or ask for help, go ahead and do so. But because the context of this prayer, this psalm, this hymn, is so clearly one of gratitude and thanksgiving, the people of God should respond with that kind of passion to the Lord. What has the Lord done for you? What has he done for me? What has he done for us as a a church community, as a people? And what is our response to that? Boy, when we're studying praise and thanksgiving, our response tonight, I believe, should be one of gratitude and thanksgiving to the Lord and let the people praise him for what he's done. Now, we're going to go through this verse by verse tonight. It is not going to be in-depth. It is more devotional, perhaps, in nature. But I'm hoping that it stirs within us not only a corporate attitude of prayer tonight, but it stirs within us maybe a more thoughtfulness in our personal prayer life. How thankful we need to be to God. How quickly do we come to the Lord when there is an urgent prayer need? Boy, it goes right out on the prayer chain, doesn't it? When there's an urgent need. What happens when that prayer is answered? Sometimes God's people go a little bit silent. Here Israel and David is showing us how to respond with joy and gratitude. And I'm hoping that we see that tonight. I've left on your note sheet that key truth from chapter 20 and verse 7. Some boast in chariots, some boast in horses. But what do we boast in? We boast in the strength of the Lord, the name of the Lord, and what our God does. And we're seeing that boast here in chapter 21. It's a hymn of praise to God. And you can see, if we were to go verse by verse comparison, chapter 20, chapter 21, you would see the clear connection between that petition as they go into the battlefield, and then in chapter 21, that praise because God has answered their prayer. So I do believe the scholars are right. Psalm 20, Psalm 21, that's how we're going to approach it tonight. Now we're just looking at the first half of this hymn this evening, And I've broken it up this way because this is the way that it seems to lay out. God has answered prayer for his people. So I put it in our context. God has answered us. But notice it's all in past tense. This is what God has done for us. Now we come to him to pray. In the second half of Psalm 21, it appears that they're projecting how God is going to respond. Future tense. So we'll deal with that next week. I want to focus on the first seven verses. It's really the first six verses, but verse seven is a bit of a transition. We'll see that when we get there. But in the first half of this psalm, this hymn, there is great joy on the heart of the people of Israel. And again, as we saw in the context two weeks ago, Israel and David at this time are walking rightly before the Lord. They're walking in righteousness. And you can see that in the language of this hymn. We're going to begin in verse 1, where God saves by his strength. And you see the response 
of God's people in that context. O Lord, in your strength, the king will be glad. In your salvation, how greatly he will rejoice. What can you see right away in there that God has done? What is it that God, we see in God there? It's his power, his strength. He's not limited in any way. This is our God we're speaking of. This is Israel's God, David's God. And this, this corresponds with what we've seen back in verse 6 of chapter 20. It's with his saving strength, his right hand, that they appealed to. Come and deliver us in this battle because your right hand, God, is strong. Some boast in chariots, some in horses, but no, we boast in the name of the Lord because our God is strong. The answer to that is that God delivered. He, got, he gave a great victory on the battlefield, and this is how they respond in chapter 21 and verse 1. O Lord, in your strength, the king will be glad. In your salvation, how greatly he will rejoice. Now, that strength in salvation is being celebrated by the people of God as they give thanks to him for providing the victory on the battlefield. And if we put this into our context, we come to God in prayer because he is all-powerful. Nothing that he purposes to do is impossible for him. And even in our appeals, does this not give us confidence? Do you see how it's teaching us how our posture, our attitude should be as we come to the Lord in prayer? confidence. Why? Because God is not limited. Our God is all-powerful. Nothing is out of reach for him. His arm is never too short that it can save, it says in the prophets. So we pray something like this. God, nothing is beyond you to accomplish, and nothing can keep you from fulfilling your perfect will. We praise you for your strength and the salvation that you bring to us, and that you will accomplish what is good for us. Now, as I go through each of these verses and develop each of these points, I'm going to be asking questions that I hope is challenging us or causing us to think, how do we pray to God? What is our posture? What is our attitude? And here, you can see the attitude of confidence in God's strength. It's there. There is also another attitude of the prayer, though. Do you see it in verse 1? What's this attitude in thanksgiving? so obvious to spit it out you know it gladness there is joy does this not tell us something about when we come to God and give thanks to him just think about the contrast for a moment maybe we're laden with problems but God has answered a prayer what kind of attitude does it reflect to God when we come moping into his presence filled with anxiety fear despondency maybe discouragement and we say, well, thank you, God. You provided a job for me. That's not the spirit of gratitude that we're learning from this psalm. If we're truly thankful, truly thankful to God, because he's been strong to deliver, if he's given some success, does there not have to be joy and rejoicing and gladness? This is what the psalmist is teaching us here. This is what David is putting down in this hymn because he's seen it. In the congregation, they've come before God and they're expressing joy. And you can picture that. They've been relieved of this, this battle. They didn't lose. They've won. God caused the victory. And there's much joy and celebration in this. So I think it's important for us to observe the heart of gratitude, confidence, joy, 
gladness because God is strong. He is powerful to save. How important is it that we praise God for his favor with a heart of gladness, rejoicing in his provision? This is important in that it answers in the answer that God provides to our positions may not, or petitions may not always be what we ask him for. In his wisdom, he may favor us with an answer that we do not immediately see as a blessing. But when we cry out to the Lord and he answers us, we should rejoice, trusting that he knows better than we do what is needed for the day of our trouble, as we saw in Psalm 20. We praise God for his strength, his deliverance. We do it with gladness and joy, even if we don't get the request that we've asked for. Thankfulness with joy is emphasized here. And thankfulness with security and confidence is emphasized here in verse 1. It's celebrating the strength of the Lord with joy. Second verse. God gives as we ask. Notice I say as we ask in your notes. I didn't say God gives us what we ask because he does not always do that. But look what happened in verse 2. God gave Israel what they asked for. And I think this is important to recognize too. I think what may come to mind for us, for many of us in this case, is that God gave to us at times, what we ask for, at other times, he does not. And as I mentioned in the previous point, we should be glad even when we don't get what we ask for because we trust God, his strength. We know he knows what's best for us. Yet on this occasion, God was pleased to give David and Israel, notice the desire of their heart, what David asked for, the people asked for with their lips. God responded by blessing them with that. And I believe that there is a dual blessing that should be recognized in our praises when that moment occurs, when that answer comes according to our desire. First, there is praise to God for his giving. He's answered prayer. He's brought salvation by his strength. But second, it should be recognized that when God gives our desires, it's telling us, My desire at that point is God's desire. It's God's pleasure to give us what was a desire on my heart. And I believe that calls for a special word of praise because it tells me that my heart is in tune with God. It's his pleasure to to meet this need or to give this gift to us. Think about just the regular circumstances that we don't always recognize. Just this week, we have been praying for two babies that they safely arrived. What happened? Two babies have safely arrived. Was it our immediate response? Thank you, God. You have given us the desire of our heart. It was God's pleasure to do this for us. Does that not require a special praise? Thank you, Lord, for answering our prayer, but also that our hearts were tuned into your heart and it pleased you to bring about these deliveries. These are everyday occurrences for us. And I have to say, in my prayer life, I am quick to come to God when the urgent strikes me. But I don't immediately think when that answer comes, according to the words of my lips, do I immediately turn to him and say, God, thank you for giving to me the desire of my heart. There's a special praise on the lips of these people here. 
as they rejoice and give thanks, they're praying to God with gratitude. There's a special joy when we receive what we ask for because it means that our desire is his desire. And we should be grateful for the gift. We should be grateful for the desire that he's placed on our heart. These are a work of God in our hearts. Also, I think it's important to recognize, as we did last time in Psalm 20, this is a people that is walking rightly before the Lord. So it's not as surprising that their heart's desire is the Lord's desire. As we're walking right before the Lord, that oftentimes comes, doesn't it? We don't always know the, the will of the Lord, and I'm not suggesting that. But there are times that we ask for things we just don't know how the Lord is going to answer. And many times, probably more times than we think about, He gives us the desire of our heart. And I believe that that comes from walking rightly before the Lord. When we're paying attention to His Word, we're being careful with our lives, we're looking to Christ and we're wanting to imitate Christ, the heart is motivating that walk, isn't it? So oftentimes our heart is right with the Lord. Does our gratitude to God recognize those special favors from Him? That He's answered, that He's given the desires of our heart. Verse 3, notice that God gives good things. For you meet Him with blessings of good things. You set a crown of fine gold on his head. Who is his head? Who is he? And King David. So again, the people are coming and blessing. They're coming together and they're blessing God and praising him because they favor the king with good things. Now the implication of the good things and the crown of fine gold suggests the spoils of war and the kingly duty of David. It may even suggest the good things that have come from David's reign over Israel, including the spoils of war. But you think about them just winning a conquest against their enemy. The riches and the spoils now belong to Israel. What else comes with that? Well, the safety and security of knowing our enemy has been vanquished. We're not under threat from them anymore. But what about David's regular kingly duty? For some 40 years, he was king over Israel, and God blessed Israel under David. Why? Because God had chosen that man. He'd put him into place there. This was David's calling. God chose David, his selection, to be king over Israel. And God blessed Israel because of David's reign, because David walked rightly before the Lord. So I see a parallel here between David's calling, and we could say it is calling both in the secular sense as well as the spiritual sense. And, and in that way, God has given to each of us a calling, both secular and spiritual. So we could be talking about our jobs, our career, our family, our ministry here at the church. Has God given to each of us a calling? And we'd say, yes, he has. He's given to us a spiritual calling to minister in the church. He's given to us a secular calling in our jobs or being a mother, a housewife, a husband. Has God blessed that? Is there success there? Has he given us some victory? And I think David's kingly realm or his kingly reign is involved in this. But as I was studying, as I was reading this passage and taking in under other commentaries, it was 1 Corinthians 12 that came to mind. So if you would go to 1 Corinthians 12, passage on spiritual gifts, I know. But I want you to look at verse 6 and 7. 
1 Corinthians 12, verse 6. Paul writes, there are varieties of effects, but the same God, notice, who works all things in all persons. What does that sound like to you? Romans 8, 28. God works all things together for good. Notice what Paul is saying here. The same God works all things in all persons, but, and now he's going to emphasize something in particular, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, the spiritual gifts, right? So while this context in 1 Corinthians 12 is largely that of spiritual gifts and ministering those gifts within the church, I cannot help but recognize that God is working in all things just as it says in Romans 8.28. We know and have confidence that God works in all things, His good, all things. And then in verse 7, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. Now, in this spiritual sense, God has enabled us to do work that has good things for the people of God. Think about David, king, doing good for the people of God. They're enjoying the spoils of war, enjoying the good from God's hand being worked through their king, who is God's choice on the throne. Is it any different God causes the good to come out of our jobs, our natural talents, as he does with our spiritual gifts and abilities in Christ? David was a very successful king. He was blessed by God in his reign. Was that to David's credit? Not really. It was God that was working those good things. That's what God does with his people. God was the one that blessed David with good things, with this fine golden crown. He led Israel into battle. God provided the victory, salvation, the day of trouble. That was in the hands of God. The people were trusting God. This is our day of trouble. We're going into battle. Verse 6, chapter 20, we need your strong right hand. And God provided it. Imagine you are contacted by somebody that's heard about your services. And they call you on the phone and they say, we've heard about you. You have a reputation for doing a really good job and I have a specialized job for you. And it really demands your kind of skills and your reputation and the quality of work. I insist upon that. And so you schedule the job and you hang up the phone. How are you feeling right now? People are talking about the work of your hands. There's a glory in this, isn't there? God has chosen to bless you with doing good things for others, should he not get the glory for that? And think how often do we think, well, it's just a secular job. Other people are doing good things too. I just happen to be talented in that area. Is this not something we should be praising God for? Even when you're doing good stuff with your hands or your brain with computers or whatever you're very, very good at, a chainsaw. God has allowed you to do a good work. And people recognize that. They're blessed by it. A good work in the church as we minister faithfully. You have an opportunity to teach children in the Sunday school department. And maybe you're good at teaching. Do you praise God that you're good at that and you're able to minister for the good of others? Because that's God working in you. You can't really take credit for it. But we do get the credit for it. David was getting the credit for this. How do you respond when people give you the credit? 
But David is showing us, the people of Israel are showing us, we respond by thanking God because he's enabled us to do this. I just think this changes a little bit our disposition in prayer. Maybe the frequency of prayer by which we give thanks to God. Verse 4, God gives life. He asks life of you. Who's asking for life? David. Imagine him going into battle. Dangerous thing. Lord, keep me alive. I know I'm the king. People are going to protect me. But somebody could stick an arrow in me. He, David, asked life of you, God. You gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. Now this verse is a bit more controversial. Not as controversial as 1 Corinthians 15. But scholars don't agree quite on what is meant here, the context here. Certainly David is implied in this. And possibly the first part of verse 4 is a direct application to David. But what about that second part? David didn't live forever and ever, at least in the context of this life. So some think perhaps this is messianic. It may be a combination of David and messianic. However we're going to read or understand this particular verse, I think it's clear that God answered the prayer because David lived through that battle. God gave him life. In fact, God gave to David long life. He lived some 70 years So the first part of verse 4 is certainly true of David. But when it's added in the second part of the verse that the length of his days were forever and ever, this could possibly have more than one meaning. And it's speculated that this could be speaking of Messiah who has endless days. David's life was protected by the Lord because of the promise of God that Messiah would come through the lineage of David. So we can see that the days of David's life were guarded and shielded by the Lord because God had a plan for David. Messiah would come through his lineage. But it is also true that David is part of that eternal blessing of God's family. Like all of the elect of God. In Christ, the length of our days is forever and ever. So this could be an application of eternity as well. Because Messiah is forever, so God's people are forever. However this verse is intended to be understood, we can see from it how we are to praise the Lord. He has granted to each of us a length of days here on earth. God has given to us a desire to live those days out. Most of us want to live tomorrow. If somebody told us we were going home to be with Jesus, we'd say, praise God. If you were given the choice to live another day, you're probably going to say, I'll take that choice. God has given us a desire to live. Should we not be thankful for every day that he gives us to live? When death comes, whether sooner or later for each of us, the length of our days is forever and ever in Messiah, in Christ, by faith. We can praise God for the days that he gives us in this life, no matter how many days that may be. But we also praise him for the endless days of eternity that we'll spend with him because of Christ. Now, in Psalm 90, and Psalm 90 is a a psalm of Moses, but he says this, So teach us to number our days that we may present to you, God, a heart of wisdom. We know who holds the number of those days, don't we? It's God. He's ordained the exact number of days that each of us shall live. Are you thankful for each of those days? Maybe you're only going to live to 30. Maybe you'll live to 70. 
Maybe you'd live to 103 like my aunt did. I don't particularly want to hang out quite that long. But are we thankful for those days? And the reality is when those days come to an end, let's just assume that one of us gets a phone call. Three days from now, we're going to die. The doctor says, we discovered this thing on your records. I'm sorry, nothing we can do for you. Is this not for the Christian an opportunity to look back and say, thank you, Lord, for the days that you have given me on earth, that my number of days is held by you, and I've been given the opportunity to present to you a heart of wisdom as I live before you carefully with each and every day that you bless me with. Are we grateful to God for each day? Are we grateful that he has ordained the number of our days? And that we can live in wisdom before him by the same divine power with which he has given to us life in the first place. Eternal days belong to us. Is that not worthy of our praise? Are we grateful for our eternal days that have been granted to us through Jesus Christ? Verse 5. God gives glory and honor. This is a fascinating verse. His glory is great through your salvation. His glory. Who's that? Is that Jesus? It's not. That's David. God gave glory to David. How about the second part of the verse? Splendor and majesty you placed on him. Who's the him? It's David. Glory, splendor, majesty he gave to King David. God did that. We often hear in this broken world talk of glory on the battlefield when there is a victory. Men fight bravely. Some die giving their lives for what they believe or giving their lives for their countrymen. And when such battles are won, there is a certain glory that is shared by the victors. But there's also a shame of defeat for those that are overcome by the enemy. And Israel knew both shame and glory. But on this occasion... God gave the glory of victory to King David. But God is praised because the battle was his fight. And he's the one credited for Israel's salvation. Notice it says that there in the first part of verse 5. God is credited for the salvation. But glory, splendor, and honor were given to David as a prize. To be enjoyed by David because God had fought and won the battle for Israel. Now, I think we can likely think of many times in our lives that God has given us success in some area. Perhaps our work, perhaps our ministry, perhaps in our family, our relationships, or something else. And one, when such a success is present, very often we receive some glory or appreciation from our peers. They will acknowledge our efforts, our talents, our wisdom. But where we enjoy that kind of success and recognition do we see it as a salvation of the Lord? Does he receive the gratitude from us even when we're treated by others with splendor and majesty? Because once again, we can find ourselves in a position like that. Let's say in your job, you're recognized by your employer or your fellow employees for something well done. We can say, well, other people do that kind of stuff too. I just happen to be good at this. And therefore, we receive the praise and the honor of men. And we walk away thinking, well, that's just how it's done, but not the believer. You see, David and Israel, they're showing us this is an opportunity where God has given to us the praises and glory, and we respond to him. Thank you, Lord, 
for allowing this success to come by my hand. I was just talking to Doug Little, 42 years. He retired just this last week. And he was telling me that this, the city of Anacortes put on a, a little um, celebration for him this last Tuesday. They invited certain special guests, I guess, from the city of Anacortes. And they presented Doug with badge and a shirt and some things that honored his 42 years of service. Because he invested his life, 42 years as a police officer. And they're giving to him glory and honor. It's an opportunity when we see those kind of successes. Thank you, God, for allowing me the privilege of doing this and working your good through me. There's an attitude here of thanksgiving that I have not given much thought to. Shame on me, but I haven't. There's majesty and glory being given to David by God, and he, God, worked the salvation. Notice the response is not just David's response. This is a corporate response. So when one of you, let's say Doug, unfortunately Doug's not here, but he's one of us. We corporately praise God that Doug was able to do that. And he was recognized for his faithful service. And it can be that way with any one of us. Victory or success may tempt us to boast in self or to take credit or to seek praise for self. But we can use those successes as an opportunity to praise God. Jesus prayed to the Father. I looked at John 17 this morning, the first five verses where it talked about God glorifying the Son and the Son glorifying the Father. Do you realize later in that prayer, John 17 and verse 22, this is what Jesus said, the glory which you have given to me, speaking to the Father, I have given to them. God has given to us glory. And that's speaking about the glory of our salvation. Is that something? We want to give praise and thanksgiving too. We don't always see the glory in this world for being a Christian. In fact, sometimes we see the shame of it. We're going to be ridiculed and mocked. But Jesus gives to us glory because we belong to him. Romans 8.37, we overwhelmingly conquer through him. We may not see the full glory of that in this life, but it is certain we will see his glory bestowed on us in the life to come. Is this not worthy of our praise? Verse 6, God gives joy in his presence. He gives joy in his presence, for you make him, David, most blessed forever. You make him, David, joyful with gladness in your presence. Here, the people are praising God for the blessings granted to Israel's king. And one thing that the nation of Israel sees in David is a love to be in the presence of God. This is something you notice many times throughout the Psalms. David loves to be in the presence of the Lord. David is one that celebrates coming to the house of God because he wants to gather with the people of God and be near the presence of God. He's not one that complains about going to church or hoping the church will end quickly so I don't have to sit here and listen to a long sermon anymore. David delighted to be in the presence of the Lord, and the people know it. Do you see them praising God in verse 6 for their king who loves to be in the presence of the Lord? The nearness of God's presence was certainly something reciprocal with David. God blessed David with his favor, it says. David delights in God's favor. He's glad to be near, and he responds. They respond corporately with worship and praise to God. And this kind of fellowship and mutual communion was not merely a private devotional worship for David. In this context, 
The presence of the Lord was a corporate worship for Israel and their king. They're celebrating this moment together. And they're doing it before the Lord in worship of God. Giving thanks, giving praise, recognizing the salvation, the majesty, the blessing. So once again, verse 6, there's much joy. There's gladness. They're happy to be in the presence of the Lord and to be together. Do we consider our time with God as a time of joy? Do we give thanks to Him with gladness on our hearts? Knowing that our Sunday worship service, our time when we corporately come into the presence of the Lord, do we gather gladly, rejoicing that we are here? Do we gather anticipating the blessing of the Lord? Are we thankful for corporate worship? And finally, verse 7. Verse 7 is something of a transition verse because if you look at the second part of set, verse 7, it's, it's projecting future tense. Which so, so that belongs in our second study. But it also belongs in this study because of the little word for. In other words, we're continuing a thought here. For the king trusts in the Lord. And through the loving kindness of the Most High God, he will not be shaken. The king's not going to be shaken. Now that word loving kindness, and I've noticed, noted this in your note sheet, is that Old Testament word covenant love. And we've talked about that before in our study of the Psalms. When it says loving kindness, it's speaking about the covenant love relationship of God. It's a secure thing. It's not going to be broken. God has given his word. God has expressed his love. And he has bonded himself to his people Israel. And he loves his king David. So the king trusts in the Lord because he's held captive by the covenant love of his God. And he's been blessed by God. And so it says David is not going to be shaken. That's a kind of a future tense projection, I know. But he's saying in the first part of verse 7, the king trusts. He trusts in God. And this is part of their praise. Now you look back at at Psalm 20 and verse 8, it speaks of the enemy. They have fallen down. But we have risen and stood upright. This is a celebration of praise that the people of God can sing. The world cannot. They have no right to be secure in the Lord because the covenant of love of God is not on them. It is only acquired through faith in Jesus Christ. And we understand that. It only comes through our Redeemer. So this is not a security that the world knows or enjoys. We do as the people of God. Do we praise Him for it? Are we thankful? Do we rejoice in it? Despite all of the troubles that are going on around us in our lives, around us, is this not worthy of praise? We are held by the covenant love of God. I won't be shaken. Can you say that tonight? I won't be shaken. I trust in him. This is what the people are praising God for. Here in David was a king that the people were looking to. They saw his trust in the Lord. He was an example to them. It's like a father for his children. They should see a man that is secure in his walk with Christ. And the children look and they see, that's David. The people of Israel, they see his love for being in the presence of the Lord. They see also, this is a man that trusts the Lord because of the loving kindness of God. It's not because David is such a solid, secure, stable man. It's the security of God's love, his covenant love. Now, this may be a bright moment in the history of this nation under David's reign and his example. But imagine looking at our king or present, currently our politicians, currently, 
as men and women who live their lives in trust of the Lord, who rejoice in the presence of the Lord, who has a heart that desire the pleasures of the Lord, wouldn't we rejoice if we had such a king or a president or a governor? Where there is this loving admiration of God, there's confidence in God's unfailing love. There's trust. There's a man unshaken by the turmoil of life. That's who I want leading my nation. Well, we won't get that necessarily as a political people. But we have that in Jesus Christ. It's his covenant love that gives us this trust. We don't need to live life shaken. Do we praise God for his trustworthiness? Do we praise him for that covenant love that binds us permanently to his, his secure love? Are we grateful for his covenant? Is our thankfulness to God done in a spirit of unshakenness in this life? True gratitude for God's faithful character cannot be something we give in praise to him while we're shaken in our boots. We're anxiety and fear. We're despondent, depressed. Woe is me. I don't know what's going to happen. That's not a spirit of praise. Grateful praise to God must be confident in his covenant love. Gratitude toward God cannot include fear or despondency or anxiety. True praise to God must recognize who he is. And that's what gives us our security. Not all the troubles in life. It's our God that has a covenant love relationship with us. That's all I have to share from Psalm 21. But I hope that it kind of encourages us now to take a few moments. And it doesn't need to be just two or three of us as sometimes happen in our prayer services. If you're a believer here tonight, do you have reason to give thanks? And are you willing to do it in the company of God's redeemed? That's what's happening here. Now, not everybody's going to share tonight. But I do want to take this evening and emphasize our gratitude to the Lord for the blessings that he's given to us. Just think about some of the answers that he's given to us, like healthy babies that have been born. We've prayed for Dorothy Cully. She's doing well. She's starting to recover. Do we praise God for these blessings? Kathy Woodard had her eye surgery. And Dick tells me this morning, she's done very well. Have we had success in the workplace? Has God given to you some honor or some blessing in that? Maybe there's something I don't know about, but this is a time where we can thank God. And again, if you feel an urgent need to pray for a petition, that's okay too. I don't want to limit us tonight. But after your reading and studying a psalm like this, really our hearts should be filled with praise and thanksgiving to God. So let's take these closing moments as we corporately pray. And just as many of you as we can possibly fit into the night, to speak out and praise God, give thanks to him, express your gratitude to him. Let's honor the Lord from our hearts with our lips tonight. And then I'll close as, we, as, as you guys simmer down because I know you're going to be all excited to do this. Let's pray to the Lord.